Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Lawrence Simon, Dr. Simon, and the show is The Stories We Live By. And today I thought I would talk about uh, sex and the stories we tell about sex. And this is, again, a very big topic, um, so I probably won't do it justice. I know I won't do it justice. Um, I have had enough of a sex life. Uh, I, I should tell you that um, I won't talk about my sex life as in particulars because uh, I'm married. I've been married for 44 years, um, and my sex life was within the marriage. So uh, I can't talk about any great exploits, and I can't make any great comparisons. Um, I know people who do and can, and um, maybe they would be better doing this show. On the other hand, the, the, I did therapy with people for nearly 40 years. And what I discovered is that when sex is good in a person's life, uh, mine, yours, or anybody's, it really is a source of tremendous pleasure and joy. Um, it has all kinds of wonderful ramifications for your health, for clearing your head. Uh, and so um, I learned a lot about sex and how people tell the stories about sex from doing therapy. And the other thing I've learned, when, therapy, when sex doesn't go right, uh, it's a source of tremendous misery. And one of the reasons for that, and I really would like to talk about that, uh, is that sex is a very complicated topic. It gets mixed up with other stories. It gets mixed up with stories about power, love, religion, uh, money. Um, it has all kinds of meanings. There's no such thing, I think, as a pure sex act. Um, it, it's just mixed in with too many other things. And it's very often not the sex itself. I haven't had a lot of people come to me because they couldn't perform sexually. Uh, and if they did, if they had a problem uh, having orgasm, maintaining erection, uh, whatever that might be, all the wonderful words that the psychiatrists use for sexual disorders, this really was tremendously upsetting to them, not merely because they couldn't uh, satisfy their partner or enjoy the sex, but because it did mix in with other stories. What's wrong with me as a human being? Uh, for a man not to be able to maintain an erection uh, goes to the heart of his prestige. For a woman not to be able to attract a man to have sex even with all the ambivalence that surrounds that, means, uh, am I pretty enough? Am I good enough? Am I lovable enough? So that all kinds of other issues are constantly involved with our sex lives and the stories we tell. And that uh, it's these other stories that are very often creating difficulties and, and um, are, are then fed into when a person uh, can't perform as they wish uh, let me talk a little bit about performing as we wish. Um, sex, in a way, in our society is like money. Uh, we live in a pornographic society. We live with uh, uh, the, the, the promise that movie stars and celebrities have some kind of really wild sex lives. And again, I don't know that they do. Uh, I don't know that they don't. Uh, I think when I see people have what appears to be these sex lives, I get jealous. I say, gee... Why couldn't I 
participate. And I discovered early on, when, when 19, late 60s, I got married, by the way, I was 22 in one day. So I just turned 23 when I got married. And back in the 50s, if you were a good Jewish middle-class boy like me, you didn't have a rousing sex life. I didn't know anybody who did. The only real sex you had, occasionally you made out, and oft times it was your left or right hand that was your uh, your most constant lover. In any event, um, when the late 60s occurred and people ran off to communes and free love was in the air, and if you were married and you were faithful to somebody, you were hung up on middle-class moralities, uh, I was really jealous, and I'm always jealous when I see this. On the other hand, it seemed to be, even at that time, a kind of an illusion. Most of those communes and that free love didn't last very long. Uh, people claimed to be uh, free in their sex lives, and again, I suppose some were, uh, and, they, and some enjoyed it, but most of them uh, became jealous. And one of the things I've seen with people who go from partner to partner and may have spectacular sex um, um, it are people who um, are very lonely because uh, real sex uh, very often engenders, it leads to intimacy. Uh, it wants to create intimacy and uh, to block the intimacy that flows out of sex. I mean, it's very hard not to feel good about somebody who gives you the kind of pleasure you get when you're having sex. Um, but but if, you, if this is blocked off, uh, then there's very often tremendous despair and all kinds of other issues uh, that involve with intimacy. And we even use the word intimacy for having sex, although, again, much sex doesn't seem to be very intimate. It seems to be public. It seems to be fleeting. There's a great line, by the way, with, from one of the Woody Allen movies. I think it was Annie Hall where uh, she takes this nice moral position and she says to him, uh, the, the Woody Allen character, you know uh, that sex without love is a meaningless act. And his response is, yes, but as meaningless acts go, it's one of the best. And I think that's probably true. Uh, in any event, uh, I don't see too many people and never met too many people who really uh, flitted from person to person and had great mad passionate sex and seemed to say, that's enough for my life. Other issues, other stories played in. Um, and sex, because of that, becomes a tremendous source of anxiety and misery for many, many people. Uh, you know that sex is a problem on a cultural level, uh, because anything that's a problem for people in general, there are a lot of words for. Uh, the only thing I think may have more words than for sex is for death. So the things that really they frighten us, uh, um, we have a lot of words for. So we skirt around the meaning of it, sort of to keep a distance and to get some control over it. Oh, yeah, I, I drifted off the topic about money. Um, uh, we live in a society where the image of people having great sex is like the image of people having uh, great money. And we feel, what's wrong with me if I don't have their money uh, and if I don't have their sex? Um, but in any event, most of us, <clears throat> if we're going to be happy, are going to be happy within the <clears throat> life we have and the sex that is part of that, uh, just as we're going to be happy with the amount of money we have as long as there's some. 
Uh, for most of us, the idea of having lots and lots of money, and I really don't want to change the topic, but it is so similar in this way to sex, is that the money really means something more than money. It means who will admire me, who will respect me, who do I have power over, uh, who will look at my car and say, gee, they wish they were me. And there's always something sad about that. Because if you can't be happy in your own skin, if you don't have a sense of integrity about living within your own skin, uh, then I don't care how much money you have and I don't care how much sex you have. Uh, you're not going to be a happy camper. And again, I see this and I've seen this because I've worked with people with all kinds of money and uh, some of the happiest people I met had uh, sex with one person and sometimes not a lot of sex and not a lot of often and people who didn't have a hell of a lot of money, but had enough. In other words, uh, you don't worry about your feeding your children or paying the rent. Um, but many of the people who, uh, with money and sex, have extravagance about it. They need two houses and six cars um, and lots of lovers. Uh, some of them may be happy because I haven't seen a lot of them, but the ones I have worked with are often filled with guilt and anger and tremendous insecurity that drives them so that symbolically sex and money uh, get tied together as power and as prestige. And as somebody, I once said to somebody who was uh, having a problem with eating, uh, and eating, by the way, can get mixed up with sex, anorexia, um, you have to control your sexual impulses, but you feel guilty about your impulses, uh, you don't like your body, and I'll talk a little bit about that. We do this to men and women, but women terribly. Uh, your body will not make you the proper sex object. And, and uh, uh, the things that the women mutilating, mutilating their bodies with surgeons and surgeries and terrible diets and, uh, and desperate to be loved, you see. And sex becomes the vehicle to love. And sorry, that doesn't usually work either. Uh, sex has to be sex, and it has to be integrated and part of a, a, a loving relationship. Or else it's outside a loving relationship. And again, uh, people who enjoy that best of meaningless acts, uh, I have to take my hat off to them. Uh, again, I haven't met too many of them. Um, when is sex good and when is it isn't? Let me, let me tie some of these stories together that seem to enhance or, or fail to produce uh, a joy and a pleasure in sex. One is that any activity, I've spoken about this before, uh, if you're working at something, you're doing something to get something external to the activity. I spoke to a, a gentleman today who I'm going to interview on Monday who's a psychiatrist. And uh, he, at this point, he's suffering terribly being a psychiatrist because all he's asked to do is write prescriptions for people who he sees for 15 minutes at a time who come into him begging for the drugs as if it's a magic wand that's going to improve their lives. And he knows damn well that these drugs are not going to improve their lives. In most cases, they're going to make them more miserable because they're going to take them away from the true sources of happiness. Uh, uh, being themselves and playing. So he, he does his job as its work and the play has gone out of it. Play is that activity you do for its own sake. And when you play with somebody who is willing to play with you uh, and have sex, 
That's usually when it's joyful. Uh, you're not working. You're not looking to prove something, that you're lovable, that you're desirable, that you're powerful, that you're the biggest stud in the entire world. Is it good for me? Is it good for you? Is it good for you? Uh, some of the discussions that have, have, I've had with couples uh, can break your heart. Of course, they're, they're so soap opera-ish that sometimes I had to stop myself from laughing out loud. Uh, the pathetic quality of somebody begging somebody, uh, was I really good, uh, without ever concern with, did you enjoy it? You see? Uh, it was not playing together. Watch kids really play together uh, and, and enjoy themselves, the activity, and they lose themselves in the activity. And that loss of the self is very often what determines not only the pleasure of the sex, but the ability to have an orgasm, the ability to control yourself sexually. Because all of these things uh, take place when you're not conscious, when you're not struggling to do something that has nothing to do with the sex act itself, when you're not trying to dominate, when you're not trying to seduce. Uh, <clears throat> it's one of the reasons why I've always been suspicious about people telling me that their sex life is great when there's a new partner every night. Um, it's so hard work trying to get to know somebody and, and to be comfortable with somebody so that you can trust them and yourself within a relationship that it makes it very hard under those circumstances to play. Uh, if you're worried about getting a disease from somebody, uh, certainly there's a lot of hard work involved in, in that. So sex seems to be good when it's play. And when two people want, or more perhaps, if who want to play together, otherwise it is hard work. The other thing is that sex really is not the same as love, and love is not the same as sex. I think you could have sex with somebody you don't love, uh, I've seen people who, who uh, have marriages in which they despise each other. And in most of those cases, when the love dies, the sex dies. On the other hand, I've seen couples, and I've seen many over the years, uh, not as many as the first, where, the, where the, you know, the love goes, the sex goes, and everything goes uh, <clears throat> in the relationship, but they maintain a very high-quality sex life without sleeping together. They come together to have sex. They want the safety of the relationship. They stay for the sake of the children, and they keep their sex life going. But, boy, they are not civil to each other. They really do not seem any longer to care or love for each other. Uh, so love is, is very different than just sex, and sex with love is different. Now, why? Well, I defined love in an earlier show, and I'll redefine it, as <clears throat> a, a feeling for someone that makes them and their needs as important uh, as your own. In fact, maybe more important. The love of parents for their children uh, is often that kind of love, <clears throat> where the needs of the child, the life of the child, is worth more than their own life. Uh, I know that uh, from talking to people uh, and, and my own great fears, uh, my own death has never mattered to me. Uh, as much as the thought of one of my children dying or having something serious interfere and destroy their lives. And uh, to me, that's part of love, where you're really concerned 
with what's this person thinking, what's this person feeling. <clears throat> and under those circumstances, I think it's hard not to be a good lover, particularly if the person returns that feeling for you, that your needs are also important. It's not merely they're trying to get off or they're trying to achieve this or that within the sex act, but it is play, and it is play with somebody that they care about in such a way as uh, the other's needs are automatically, without thought, as important as their own needs. So sex is not the same thing as love. And, and throw another thing in here, um, when students would ask me, should they get married, and of course I would never answer something, if you have to ask me if you want to get married, um, then uh, you're not ready to get married. But I say in general, uh, if you want to get married, three things. You want to jump on the bones of that person. They really excite you. But number two, you love them so that you're concerned about their needs and their desires and their life to the degree that you are your own. And the third thing is you like them and your friends. I think that three things together uh, really create a kind of a relationship that can last. Um, sex makes a relationship, especially early on. But again, I've seen so many marriages where the sex by itself just can't work. And if love dies, if there's betrayal, uh, then uh, all kinds of things begin to occur that the person, uh, you know, it's just lost and sex becomes something like work, and it just doesn't have the same value or meaning. Um, people who fight a lot early in their relationship and use sex to make up, and early on that can work. I've seen it work. It works well, but not for long. Uh, tell you some interesting stories. Uh, two people who came to me about sexual problems, a man and a woman, so I could... I could you know, relate to both sides of this. Uh, the guy came, he was guilty about cheating on his wife. And he wanted me to help him uh, not cheat, not, not, not feel guilty, not cheat. He wanted to continue to do what he was doing. And I said, well, uh, do you think you're doing something wrong? He said, no. I said, then why do you use the word cheat? I mean, it's inherently a word that says something is not moral. And as we got on with this, he said, yes, well, he doesn't enjoy sex with his wife but he wants to stay married, and um, um, he's going to, he goes outside of the relationship on a fairly regular basis. Uh, and I said, could you tell your wife? And he said, are you crazy? And as we talked, it became clear to me, because I've seen this before and to him, that his wife was not just his wife, not his friend. He didn't like her. In fact, I'll make a statement that most men don't like most women, because they can't become friends with them. Um, uh, it's his mother. It really was his mother. And he was afraid of her like a mother. Well, fear really does a dampening act for sexual pleasure. You're afraid of somebody. You resent somebody. Uh, sex, then, is can I dominate them? Can I overcome them? Not can I play with them in such a way as that we both uh, have a joyful and wonderful experience. And I suggested to him, because I wasn't going to tell him not to cheat, I don't tell people what to do, uh, that he should talk to his wife. How does she feel about their sex life? And what happened, it took a long time, I mean, it took months and months for this to work on, where he began to analyze his fear 
of, of his wife as a mother figure. Uh, and she wasn't particularly like his mother, but he had carried this in, this last piece of not growing up. And I don't want to start with men don't grow up, but although it really does appear that men have more trouble growing up into some form of maturity uh, where they can look at a woman as an equal rather than as a mother or as a sex object. You know, she's a nice piece of ass, she's a cunt. Uh, not even the whole ass. I mean, that really, really does have difficulty. But in any event, he went home and he talked to the wife about their sex life. It took months. And she was as miserable and unhappy in it as he was. And he confessed his infidelities. And at first she decided she would end the relationship, but then decided for the sake of the children, blah, 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 she would give it a try. She never fully forgave him. But what they did do then go is for sex therapy, for, for somebody who would help them work out some of the inhibitions that they both had uh, and some of the other problems in their relationship that had to do with power and money and, and, and not liking and not being friends. Um, and it took a couple of years. But when I stopped working with them, it was pretty good. They, they, they had a good sex life. And so far as I could tell, he was no longer cheating. The second was a young woman who had come to me uh, miserable about her sex life. And why? Well, he doesn't respect me. And as we got into it, she finally said with great passion, he treats me like nothing more than a wet hole. And how's that for heartbreaking? And I said, well, why do you stay with him? Uh, what can we do to help change this relationship? Well, he wasn't going to come in. Another man who doesn't believe in therapy and uh, not because he doesn't believe in therapy, but because he's afraid, afraid to look. And um, she said, because I love him. And boy, I hear that a lot. I, I stay with the man who abuses me, who puts me down, who makes me feel like a wet hole, like garbage, because I love him. And again, if you've been listening to my definition, that ain't love, baby, that ain't love. And I didn't say that to her, but we continued discussing, and one day she did say to me, I don't know if I love him. I think I need him. Why do you need him? Because I'm really afraid of being alone. Uh, economically, he, he, he's a good provider. He takes care of me and the children economically. Uh, he doesn't respect me. Uh, I know he has other women on the side. I don't think he respects any of those either. By the way, uh, if uh, somebody uh, you are having an affair with, man or woman, and they're married, uh, do you really believe that they're not going to cheat on you? I mean, I, I hear that all the time. You know, love will conquer all. Well, love is a funny thing, and love is a very high bar to cross. And so uh, most of the time that doesn't take place. Uh, and, and the person who found somebody uh, who was cheating on someone else is so often, most of the time, really, in my 40 years of experience, so stunned to find, oh, my God, they're now cheating on me. They're betraying me. And that's really the issue, by the way, in cheating with somebody. It's betrayal. It's a betrayal. Unless you both agree to go outside the relationship and have an open relationship. And I've actually seen a couple of those that seem to work. Uh, they worked. But I'm not sure just how much love or intimacy was left in those relationships. But again... Uh, it's my value judgment 
that that really represents a, a kind of nice way to live. Particularly, I should tell you, I'm 67, and I would not want to be all alone right now in the world um, with strangers, because while sex is still important in my life, it's certainly, as I approach the end of it, seen in a very, very different light than when I was 18 or 20 or 30, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, having intimacy, having a long-standing relationship, having a friend to live with, uh, really may curtail your sex life. On the other hand, uh, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's just as good within that relationship, and it could be made better. Uh, I get, by the way, they could be worked at. I think that uh, nothing should be taken for granted in any relationship because people do grow. And if they don't grow together and work at that together, but that's another topic, then they tend to grow apart. And maybe I'll do a blog on that sometime. I wanted to, uh, I, I mentioned earlier about bodies and the insecurity I see around me now about am I lovable, and that really is the issue. Uh, for men, it's am I rich enough and thin enough. For women, am I thin enough and are my boobs and ass the right proportions and size and the degree to which there is really no insight into any of this uh, the desperation I see in women of my own age uh, who have had three and four facelifts and their face is a mask uh, sometimes grotesque and sometimes hideous um, and the degree to which young people are tattooing themselves and again, I have nothing against a tattoo, although if you're Jewish, you're not allowed to have a tattoo because the body is considered sacred. You're not supposed to alter it. And while I'm not very religious, that feeling still exists within me. But the, the tattooing and the, and the uh, piercings and the surgeries, and I wonder just how much uh, is this individual desperate uh, to say, am I going to be lovable enough? Am I going to be attractive enough? Am I good enough as a human being for someone to care about? That they would go to the extremes that they're going. And again, it's not that they're unattractive. It's not that they're unlovable. It's perhaps that they haven't been loved enough in their family of origin, but that often they're lonely and alienated and disconnected and here, again, I curse my field for saying if you're like this, you're mentally ill. And the best way to handle these problems of intimacy and image and love and sex and power is to take some goddamn drug that uh, turns off your head so that you don't even care about sex or you can't want to have sex, you can't perform because your emotions have been so shut down. Well, nobody's calling in. I have a couple of minutes left. Uh, I feel I have babbled my best about this. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Uh, on Monday at 12 o'clock, I'm going to have a guest. I recently made friends with a psychiatrist that I mentioned earlier who is so desperately unhappy and uh, about being, in his, not in his life, personal life, but in the career he chose for what it's turned into. And he's going to come on at 12 o'clock, and we're going to discuss the topic, Who Killed Rebecca Riley? And Rebecca Riley was a three-year-old who was being given by a psychiatrist through her parents' hands 12 pills uh, a day, and uh, it killed her. 
And this really haunts me, and it haunts him. And 60 Minutes last week did this atrocious show about it. And um, I, I don't know how many people will be interested in this. There doesn't seem to be a lot of outrage anymore. I guess people, if they take their Prozac and they take their drugs, don't seem to feel a hell of a lot about anything. Uh, but I do feel, and he does feel, in a sense of outrage, particularly the way Diane Sawyer and all media seem to handle this particular topic. So it's at 12 o'clock. I hope uh, you'll forgive me for jumping around, but I certainly hope that you will tell your friends about this show and that you will join us on Monday at 12 o'clock for Who Killed Rebecca Riley. Ah, enjoy yourself. Have good sex, good love, good partnership, and good night.